0: talk about decision-making in a little bit, but one of the things that happened to me that uh, has sort of got me, started me, my day off a little bit melancholy, to be honest with you, was that um, I have a tradition that I've established with my older daughter, older daughter, Chloe. I have, uh, my wife and I, Cheryl, have four children. Uh, two of them are actually in college now, uh, Caleb and Chloe, and Chloe just finished her freshman, freshman year in college, and we've got two others, Jacob and Aubrey. But uh, Chloe and I have had established a tradition that she would come to, with me on Sunday mornings whenever it was possible, and so she would get up real early because we have to get here real early. We, the team meets together, we have prayer time, and everybody starts coordinating for the services. And she would get up, you know, six, six thirty, and and even when she went off to school, she'd she to come back as much as possible for the weekends. She kept that tradition going. And so uh, it's something that she and I were able to bond around for a number of years. And, and uh, today I was driving and uh, she wasn't there. And she's not going to be there for a little while because we, we just sent her off. Um, and this was something that, that was a, on a, on a, a journey uh, across the seas. And uh, it was something that had been brewing for a little while. It was just about six to seven months ago that she came up to me. And um, she said, you know, Dad, I've been thinking about it and praying about it. I've got a decision to make and I want you, I want you to, to pray about it, too, and we can talk about it. But I've, I've been given this opportunity through Samaritan's Purse to um, work for them in, in um, and I said, well, for how long? And she said, well, like three months, you know? I said, oh, well, okay. I said, where? She says, well, you know, uh, Kosovo. I said, that's a long way, hon. I, 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 I don't know how I feel about that, you know? Um, you no, didn't, didn't they, like, have a war over there at some point? And uh, and, and she says, yeah, Dad, but, you know, they, they gave me this opportunity to work there, and then we're going to be working with some of the gypsies there and the children. And so we were talking, and, you know, and it, it really got, it was very clear that, you know, this was a culmination of something that had been growing in her. She has a real heart for missions and, and uh, just for the city as a whole, but really for those who are underprivileged or haven't heard about Jesus, just this real love for the ministry. And it, she's everything in many ways that, you know, I wanted her to be a love for God that's real and genuine and, and sincere. It challenges me, a lot of times, and yet that moment where we had to decide, you know, and for me personally, it was. And I'm just being honest with you here about my own feelings. It was actually it's one thing to believe that, you know, yeah, trust God, but then I had to, you know, I had to let her. I don't want, her, I not really want to let her go, you know. And it's like uh, we prayed over her, and I uh, prayed over her yesterday um, before she was supposed to go and fly out and, uh, and just really laid, hand, I laid hands on her. And I said, you know, this is the, I love this girl. And I, I remember, I said, Lord, we remember when you gave her to us. We dedicated her to you. And now, Lord, we, we, we get to offer her back for you. And I pray that you would bless her, that you would use her gifts to be a blessing. And let her be the brightness that she, she brings. Lord, let her let her be the blessing you've meant for her to be, and just really just was able to really bless her. But there was this decision that was made to to trust God with her, you know. And um, you know, I did make her watch the movie Taken before before. (laughs) My wife didn't want me to do that, but I said I don't have enough faith. Let me let her. So she's so friendly, right? She talks to everybody all the time. I said I have this film I want you to watch before you go. She did, right? <laughs> you know, you remember that that whole scene, right? You know, I do not have any money, but I have skills that I have acquired over a number of years <laughs> that make me dangerous to men like you. And then you hold that whole line. Good luck. Good luck, you know, and there's this whole, okay. My wife did not like the fact that I showed her that, but you know what, I felt like, you know what, don't get too friendly at the airport, will you? Don't go wandering off anywhere. Call me when you get there, sure enough. She hasn't arrived there yet, but she's in Vienna right now. My wife just showed me this morning a text just before service here. It said, you know, got to Vienna safe and sound. Um, He says, met some really nice people. (laughs) It's like, what is wrong with that girl? Didn't we just watch a film about that? (laughs) But in in, in a fun way, and and really, truly, it was, nonetheless, not everybody would have had as hard a time as I did, but I really, you know, it was was a strange feeling, because it was like I was just saying, Lord, you know, I'm making a decision, i got to trust you with this, i got to put this in your hands, I can't control it. If that control is an illusion anyway. Proximity is not really control. We're never really in control. We have the illusion of it. But in truth, it's—it's it's, it's not. I mean, at the end of the day, it's about placing our lives in his hands and, and the lives of those we love in his hands. And it's about living a life of faith. But there are times where we are brought, listen, like this series is going to suggest, to moments of decision where we get to decide how much we actually want to believe God. And we get, we get to decide what does he really mean to us. And it becomes something more than just a cerebral, you know, sort of theological cognitive faith. We get to lay it down on the real road where it actually hits on our life it's sort of like the cover, you know? I mean, this, this picture, this theme, you can see on the Just take a brief look at it one more time. I mean, you see this person, right? We, we selected this, this piece intentionally because the, the idea of someone walking down the road is to me a picture, a metaphor of life. And we're making our way down life, this path of life. And there are times where we come to these places in life where we can't keep going the way we've been going. We have to actually go right or we have to go left. There's a choice to be made, a moment of decision. And in these places where We don't really have the luxury of just doing what we've been doing. We've got to decide. And sometimes it's a really hard place to be because we don't know what God really wants us to do. In fact, I had a couple of people come up to me after service last evening, and one of them was, you know, tears in their eyes. I don't know what God wants me to do. If I do this, and she was talking about the risks that were on this, she says, but if I do this, there are risks that are here. And on the one hand, I feel this way, and the other, and I said, you know, I can't answer that question completely for you. There are some things in life that God gives us to wrestle with, and I can't even say that both that there's one perfect answer here. I said that's a part of what it means to grow with God and, and to have people in our lives who can pray with us. It's one of the reasons why I, we encourage everybody to get involved in a small group or a ministry team, build friendships and relationships where we have people who can pray with us and vice versa so that we can reason together what God is saying. We spend time in his word. We try to listen for his voice. We try to make decisions that are going to bring forth life and blessing. But listen, a lot of times we, it's a risk. It, following the Lord, there will at times be where we don't know for sure. We gotta, we're got we going to have to take a risk. We're going to have to make a risky move. And I was thinking about this because it was an interesting thing that I had witnessed. I was, I was watching a, a political commentator talk and they were interviewing some person and they were talking about a presidential decision that was being made and they were talking about how high the stakes were and, this, and how this, this policy... Was potentially going to make or break the presidency. And then one of the the guys who was being interviewed used this phrase, and I had never heard it before. He says, Yeah, it's going to be a crossing the Rubicon moment for the president. I thought, I kind of understood what he meant, but I'd never really heard it before. And then we went back to the, found out where that came from and what it meant. And it kind of, you know what it means? It means the point of no return. It goes all the way back to the time of Julius Caesar. I mean, you know, some of us have heard the word Rubicon. I think there's a car named after it or something too. But the fact of the matter is, it has to do with this idea of daring, point of no return. Making it goes all the way back to Caesar's time. You know, interestingly enough, Caesar, before he was the emperor of Rome, was a general in the northern region of Italy called Gaul. And in the, the south, you know, think of the Roman, the, the boot of Italy. In fact, we'll just go ahead. And, you guys can go ahead and put that that map up now, and kind of give an idea of where things are. Just this is just quick. Uh, the, on the southern part was where Rome was. And there was a, a dividing line between the two provinces, the north and the south. Caesar was in the north. That dividing boundary line was the Rubicon River. A, a general in Rome had an army. Uh, Caesar's arch rival was Pompey in Rome in the south, and the Senate, they were at odds. Uh, there was a power struggle going on. They wanted Caesar to lay aside his army and c- report back to Rome, which was not going to be good for him. So he had to make a decision what he was going to do because there was a rule in Rome that you could not take your army and cross into another province. The minute you crossed the boundary with your army, you would set in motion a series of events that were irreversible. So we are told by the historians that Caesar mobilized his army. He decided that he was going to press the issue. He gets all the way to the edge, his southern boundary, and he pauses and he stops and he hesitates at the river Rubicon. Because he's not sure if he really wants to do it. Because he knows the moment he crosses that water, that, that everything is changed. And it is going to be civil war, and he's not even sure he can win it. So it says, the historians tell us, he paused and he stopped, and he hesitated, and he wavered. And he got some more counsel, and he thought some more about it, and then finally he utters the, f- the famous phrase for him, which was essentially, we translate as, the die is cast, we go. And they cross the Rubicon. And it was the point of no return. And it, sh- it turned everything upside down. Eventually, he did prevail, and he becomes the first Roman emperor. And, and history can decide if that's good or bad, but the fact of the matter was that moment of decision, that Rubicon moment. I thought about how there are moments in life, and since that time, by the way, in the vernacular, that phrase is used as this in, in, in a way that it's talking about a decision that we make that has such huge implications that once we make it, there's no going back. It's done. The die is cast, we cross the line, we go. See, and this whole idea here, got me thinking about another decision that was made by Jesus. And I was thinking, what was his Rubicon moment? I was thinking about the Garden of Gethsemane. But then I thought back to a moment that is often missed in the Bible in Luke 9, verse 51. And this is what I want us to look at. This is a very subtle moment for Jesus that actually starts a movement from which there is no turning back for him. It is indeed his crossing of the Rubicon, as it were, because it says this in verse 51. Now, it came to pass that when the time had come for him to be received up, and it's interesting because that indicates that heaven has a time clock. When the time had come for him to be received up, that is to go back to his father, that it meant that he was going. basically saying is now I go to Jerusalem, through the cross, to the grave, to my father. This idea of now is the time the hour that I was born for, the purpose for which I have come, to be the life giver, to give my life away so this world may live. This idea of Jesus as the Lamb of God that we sang about. He was keenly aware of his time. And he made, He said, the journey begins. And in 951, this verse here, marks the moment where Jesus says, oh, now I go. Steadfastly, it says here, he says, look, he, it says, he steadfastly set his face, which is the Bible's way of saying, he, he set himself in the direction To go, His intention, his resolute decision was to go to Jerusalem knowing what awaited him because this was the hour. This was the hour of the cross. And he moves into it. And he makes his decision and he starts his journey. Now what's interesting is we're given a bit of an aside that also caught me. As he makes his decision to go to Jerusalem, steadfastly setting his face, we're told that he has to pass through Samaria. Now he's in the north. He's coming down through Samaria. Now listen, Many of us, but not all of us, uh, understand that in Jesus' day there was tremendous tension, ethnically, socially, um, religiously, between the Jews and the Samaritans. The two groups did not interact. There's, there was a lot of, just like today in the Middle East, there's a lot of tension. Uh, the, the Samaritans and the Jews, and if you read the, when you read the Gospels, you can't miss, you, it's just impossible to miss. This is a sub-theme going on. Think about the moment where in John 4, Jesus talks to the woman at the well. She's a Samaritan woman. The disciples marveled that he would talk to her, not just because she was a woman, but because she was a Samaritan. Jews and, and it says that Jews and Samaritans did not have dealings. There was prejudice that went both ways. Samaritans believed they were kind of a half, half Jewish in heritage, half Assyrian. Uh, they were, had a whole different set of customs and religious practices. They did not believe Jerusalem was the center of God's true worship. And, and by the way, Jesus was aware of that tension. And in fact, in one of his stories, he actually uses a Samaritan. In fact, most of the time when Jesus refers to Samaritans, he refers to them in a positive way. In the parable of the Good Samaritan, for example, it's the Samaritan who is the good one, who, who binds the wounds of the man beaten by the thieves and left on the road to die. So the point being is that Jesus was making his way. To get to Jerusalem, he had to go through Samaria. And so he sa- says here that he-, he sent messengers ahead. So his party is coming. His his group of men and his disciples, they're making their way. And to prepare for an evening, uh, he comes into a village in Samaria. He says, go make arrangements in that village. Basically, get us some rooms to stay in. Uh, We're coming behind you. We'll be there. And the the, the disciples were sent ahead. And it says that as they went, look at verse 52. They entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for for him. But verse 53, notice this. But they did not receive him because his face was set for his journey to Jerusalem. When they realized that Jesus was making his way to Jerusalem to worship, they took the sign that was open that said vacancy, and it said, no vacancy, no room for you, people like you. We don't want you here in this village. It was an insult. It was a mean-spirited, prejudicial decision to say, you're not welcome here. And one of the things we're told, and it's fascinating to see what happens, is that James and John, that all the disciples were angry, but James and John were especially prone to to temper issues. One of the side notes of the scripture that's fascinating as well and worth noting is that the two disciples that are most referenced as having temper issues and anger issues, in fact, today we would have probably put them in anger management classes right, is James and John. John becomes the disciple of love. As he gets older, the Lord takes this weakness of his personality, and by the grace of God at work in his life, think about it, this, this anger in him ultimately is transformed into a place where he becomes almost synonymous with the one who talks the most about the love of God, and the gentleness of his words still speak life to us today. But that was a process of change in this man's life. At this time in his life, as a young man, he had the ability to get angry and angry fast. And when the disciples, James and John in particular, hear about the fact that they have been treated so poorly, do they know who you are? Or what an insult this is this? This is un- un- unacceptable. And they get so mad that you, it's right there for us to read. It says, When his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, and they, were, they had seen Jesus' power, they had seen him do miracles. They remember the, testament, the, the testimonies of the prophets of, of the Older Testament who at times had called down fire on God's enemy. And, and, and they said, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and consume them? And it was like, can you believe it? I mean, they're saying, let's incinerate the village. <laughs> we'll pay them back. And now you, I mean, it was a disproportionate reaction. We all agree on that. But nonetheless, I mean, it was such an angry, angry response. And, and, and Jesus gets mad too. But he gets mad at them. And the word here is emphatic. It talks about him turning. When they say that, Lord, do you want us to call down fire and burn them up? They're so mad, so offended, so humiliated. They can't do that to us. They don't know who you are. They don't know your power. We'll show them all the other the feelings of rejection merging with their own own issues and the anger coming through them and and they wanted, they want to they want to murder him they want to kill him and jesus says when he hears that he turns to them it says here and it wasn't like oh james and john please calm yourself <laughs> that was not what we're told here it was like, please be men of it was it was he got mad he turns to them and he rebukes them and he says you do not know a spirit you are of what is wrong with you? You walk with me all this time. And this is what comes out of you. Where, what is this in you? I did not put it there. What manner of spirit is this on you? That's what he says. What is going on? And look what he says. I did not come. Think about it. He says, I did not come. You're doing the, that is the, that is the very opposite of everything that I've come to do. What I am doing right now, I am making my way to Jerusalem to give my life away so that others may live. And you want me to go and get, what what is, you are so far away from what I am trying to do. Look what he says here. He says, but he turned and he rebuked them and he said, you do not know what manner of spirit you are. What is that in you? For the son of man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Do you understand me? That was passionately said. And there are times when we are so angry. And maybe we don't say, call down fire, but there is something in us. It's a raging fire. And we're hurt, and we're offended, and we're mad, and we've been demeaned. I don't know what it is. Uh, There have been times, there are times, you know what the Bible says that it says look what the, it just throws it on at the end of that verse after Jesus says this to them. It says and then they went to another village. I love that. And I'll tell you why. Let me just suggest a couple of things. And we'll just this will be this is how I worked into it. Firstly, things to decide. Number 1, decide let's decide not to be offended. Not to take offense. We will always have reasons to find If we want to find them, to be angry with someone, to say, you demean me. Again, what were James and John saying? we We should not take this. This is not right. Our rights are being violated. This is wrong. We need to stand up to this. You need to show them who's boss. They can't treat us like that. You tell them, Lord. You show them. And think about this, this anger coming out. Sometimes that anger, because we're hurt, we're offended, we're overlooked, we're betrayed. We feel like we haven't been treated properly. Whatever it is, that anger that wants to dominate us. I mean, it's right there. That spirit, you, that is not, Jesus, that is not, whatever that is, that's not me. That's not me. So Don't, be, don't even act like you're doing this for me. Because that's not me. Don't do that. You know, that's a reminder for all of us to not be a people who take offense with one another. We are to seek to be, seek to be, I'm not saying there's not a time. Talk hard truth. I'm not saying there's a time we have to stand up to things. I'm not saying there's a time. I get that. We, we talk a lot about that, how sometimes the, the most loving thing we can do is to actually have a hard conversation. And how the most cowardice thing or unloving thing we can do is to pretend there's not a problem when there is, a, when there is one. But in this particular case, I think a lot of us can relate to this. We're just upset, we're angry, we're offended. You, you know, and in these places, we have to really guard our spirit. Lest it becomes stuck in us. And Jesus says, That's not who, that is not who I am. Don't you hold on to that stuff. It's a, gr- a word. He rebuked them. No. No. The, you know, in Proverbs 19.11, it says this. Look at this verse. It says, it is a discretion of a man, notice, who, it, it makes him slow to anger. This idea of, of not just being a, a, a reactive, uh, you know, just anger- jumps out of us and you know what and I get it because there are times where something happens and you know what a lot of times it happens when we feel really demeaned or someone speaks to us with contempt or someone swears at us you know someone swears at you and, and really demeans you or demeans us or they they cut in front of us right and, and then we look at them and then they flip us off <laughs> you're the one Right? You're the one who did it. And this anger comes over us, because why? What is that going on? What is it going on? What is it that gets people to re- Why? Where does that come from? It's like, you don't, I don't get treated like that. You said that about me. And the Bible says that this is about, a lot of times it's our pride. And then some of us say, well, I don't react, but we hold grudges. We file it away. Oh. One more paper in the file for you. I'm not mad. I just can't stand you, at all. And I've got a huge file filled with reasons why I don't have to. And the thing of it is, is that so some of us we react, we get angry, and then others of us we don't. We don't react, but we we carry this low-grade anger with us, and we laugh because part of us. But you know what? We're not to live like that. The Lord says, no, 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 no. no. That's not me. Live light. Live free. When that stuff shows up, let it be. Now, it doesn't mean there are times we got to deal with stuff. I get that. But for the most part, let's choose not to be a people who take offense. We will always have ample opportunities to take offense. If we want to be offended at somebody, we'll always have a reason. We can always find something to be mad at. Conflict. There's enough conflict that comes our way, not even trying to find it. Why do we want to look for it and nurture it and confront it? It's like, we got to go. And that leads me to the second point here, right, which is this. A lot of times God wants to just teach us how to make a decision to take a detour. Because we'll say, no, I want to deal with this. I want to get at this. This has to be dealt with. This is intolerable. We need to to have our our justice due here. We need to go talk to those Samaritans. We need to deal with that. And Jesus says, no, we're just going to go to another village. Detour time. You can take a detour when you know where you're going. It's just another way to get there. We have to deal with this. You know what? Let it be. Let it be. Why? Life is filled with detour moments. People don't do what we think they're supposed to do. Things don't happen the way we were hoping they were going to happen. Situations arise that we didn't want to see arise. We're blocked. Now we're stuck. What do we do? Are we going to fight it out? Are we going to get all mad? Are we going to get bitter? Are we going to say detour time? <laughs> you know what? It wasn't what I wanted. I wanted to stay here, but you don't want me here. And I'm not doing what you said about bringing down the fire from heaven. We're going to go to another village. That's what we're going to do. Because I don't want to fight. I know where I'm going. Listen to me. I hope I can convey this. There's something about knowing who we are and where we're going that gives us the freedom to not have to fight things out with everybody who injures us. When we know where we're going, he was on his way to Jerusalem. It's fine. We'll go over here. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) <laughs> on cue. And so, so the idea for me is that there will be these moments where the life will fill, be filled with detour moments. What do we do? Can we enter into those detours with grace? Can we deal with these things that we didn't want to have happen, the decisions that we weren't looking for, what we did, kind of ruined what my plans were. But can we, can we do it and not let anger define us? See that? Can we walk in the spirit of Jesus? And the last thing I'll say about this is is something that really brings us all the way back full circle. And it has to do with the fact that there will be times where we need to just have courageous moments where we face our fears even though what we are about to begin is a difficult journey. And I look at Jesus and I am so amazed by him and the way he models for us what it means to be heading somewhere but just not getting bogged down in the petty offenses along the way. It's like... I'm not going to go there. Whew. Forget it. You want me to get it. It's like I'm not getting off track on this stuff. How many times we get off track? And we, sometimes, it, you know, journey is life. It, it has difficult times. Yes, it does. It doesn't always go the way we wanted it to go. In fact, some of us right now, God is challenging us truly to, to, make a, to begin. Look at that. Think about it. What is begin? Begin? Sometimes beginning is the hardest part. Maybe this is the season where we say, you know, I'm actually going to do more investing into myself. Spiritually speaking, I'm going to actually begin to, uh, I'm going to go that study. I'm going I'm I'm to get involved more. I'm going I'm to actually do something. That's, I'm going to commit. I'm going to be known. Uh-oh, don't do that. That could be dangerous. There might be expectations. I don't want expectations. But see, God might be saying, this is the time. Man. There's no growth coming until this step is taken. This is the time you got to cross the Rubicon. you got to do it. You got it, but there's implications. Yeah, I know. But that's where growth is. Good. It's got to come. You got to do it. You got to. There are things the Lord will say. You be courageous. Don't be afraid. Learn to trust God. Some of us right now, we can feel the Lord calling us to points of expansion. Because the Christian life is not a closed pond. It's a flowing stream. And he's we feel God saying, you know what? Don't be afraid of these issues. Find me in them. Watch what I want to do. Be open to the new things I want to do. Be courageous. Let your faith grow. Let me show you where I want you to walk. Let me keep working in your life. This is not just a a boring thing. It is an adventure filled with opportunities and possibilities and people that I want you to meet and talk to and, and things that I would have you to do in my name, some things seen, some things not seen, some things noticed by people, some things not noticed, but you and me, we're working together and my voice is in your life and we're growing and we have dreams and we're moving forward. See, this is a growing life in Jesus and it, it requires us times to, at times to make decisions that, Lord, I am not going to allow the problems to define me. I'm going to trust you and get on board with the adventure of faith and begin to say, Lord, what do you want to do in the season of my life? How can I honor you? What are the paths that you have for me? Give me courage to walk in them. Don't let me be shaken and moved by things I can't control, but trust you and grow and watch what you can do and not get bogged down with petty offenses and conflicts and angry spirits and frustrate. Forget that stuff. Let's just go to another village. Let's move on, because we know who we are are loved by, and we know ultimately where we're going. So, Lord, I just want to thank you again for this time that we have been able to just share together in your Word and to be able to sit in. And we start this entire movement, Lord, this summer series on the moments of decision that we're making here, God. And we're going to hear Hear from a lot of different speakers and, this, and looking at the scriptures and their personal stories, Lord. And I'll be able to share a few more times as well around this, Lord. And just this, this whole summertime, this summer season, Lord, I just pray that as, as we move into it, that there would come a growth in our lives, an expansion of our faith, an increase of our capacity to trust you, Lord. And yeah, even in sometimes daring ways, yes, where we feel like we're risking a lot. And um, I'm not talking necessarily about being reckless, Lord, but, but letting faith work in our hearts. And maybe this is a time of real expansion and growth in our lives, Lord, for you. For you, that's what we're talking about. And I, and I just, again, I also will pray, Lord, that just don't let us get stuck in places, fighting out things because we've been offended. Lord, free us of that, that, that junk, that stuff that keeps us from moving forward with you. Help us to follow in your way to bless what we can bless, to move forward with you, to live lightly with you. I just pray for, for your goodness and grace, Lord, as we close the service for this song, which really is connected to what we've been sharing about decision time. And Lord, I also pray that you bless our time of giving as many of us honor you together in our tithes and our offerings, Lord. But let's just, let your name rest over our closing minutes, I pray this, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.